Well, my goal for this morning, my prayer is that you and I would be phronetic believers in Christ and not frenetic believers in Christ. Now, with a goal like that, you might just wish I would go away again. <laughs> but, but before you send me off, let, let me give you a, a couple of definitions. Frenetic is marked by fast and energetic, disordered and anxiety-driven activity. Frenetic, marked by fast and energetic, disordered or anxiety-driven activity. Frenzied, frantic. On the other hand, phronetic comes from phronesis, and that is the wisdom to know the end and the means by which the end is attained. Phronetic thinking is the, the wisdom to know the end and the, the ways by which that end will be attained. And so my prayer this morning is that we as a church will clearly know what our end is, what our goal is, and how it is that we will attain that goal. And I pray that we might exchange anxiety-driven frenzy for clear focus. Because with focus and determination, we must obey the command of Christ. I'm excited to get back to the Great Commission this morning. To be honest, I had to talk with the Lord a little bit about my forced absence for so many weeks, just as I was getting started with the Great Commission. And his answer to me was, settle down, Craig. You're not all that, <laughs> which is absolutely the truth. But here I am back this morning, and, and the fire I felt a month ago to preach these words, it hasn't cooled, it hasn't flickered, it hasn't smoldered. So having said that, I invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have one with you or on your phone. If not, you'll find the passage printed in the bulletin, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and when you... Have that open before you. Let's stand together as we hear, read the word of the living God. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would once again as always, be faithful to your promise that where your word is read and heard, there your blessing is. Bless us with understanding. Bless us with transformation, Lord, according to your word, by the power of your spirit, more and more into the people that you call us to be. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to begin by quickly reviewing 
what we looked at uh, a month ago now when we first looked at this command of Jesus. First, we saw that our lives must be defined by the Great Commission. That's just how important the Great Commission is. Secondly, we saw that the word go in these verses is actually a participle. But in this instance, it should be translated as an imperative, as a command. It has that force. And that's important because it gives urgency to these words of Jesus. It prayerfully eliminates any lethargy we might have with the attitude, well, as you go, if you go, make disciples. No, Jesus commands here, go. Thirdly, we noted that God is ascending God, and beginning in Genesis, we quickly traced through Scripture the gracious, loving heart of God that compels him to send, to send people, to send prophets, so that other people who have lost their way, people who have never known the way, people of unclean ways and unclean lips, as Isaiah describes himself and his culture, so that people like that might know who God is and how we must relate to him. And we saw that Jesus, Jesus, is the ultimate fulfillment of the loving purpose of our sending God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. Finally, we concluded by seeing that Jesus is now the one doing the sending. He says here to us, to his disciples, go. This morning, I want us to focus on what we are sent to do, what our mission as a church actually is. Now, sometimes when you kind of peek in on churches, ours included, sometimes it seems like we don't know exactly what our mission is. Sometimes we observe frenetic activity, or at least we observe a lot of angst or guilt or anxiety about not being frenetic enough and, and all the things that we're not doing. And sometimes we look in and we observe people trying to, to whip up activity because we believe we're supposed to do something. Some define everything we do as believers as a mission, which has led some to say, if everything is a mission, then nothing is a mission. Sort of like an announcement to everyone is an announcement to no one. If everything is a mission, then we don't really have a mission. I think of my, my many years as pastor here at Redeemer and the good hearts of good people who wanted to turn their particular passion into a mission. One member was uh, successfully underwent transplant surgery. And that person wanted to stand up before the church, and they wanted the mission of the church to be one of organ donation. Another young man, 40 years old, prostate cancer. He wanted to stand up on Sunday morning and talk to the men in the church about early detection. That was his mission. Others had children involved with drugs, and their mission was to have a support group for parents of drug-addicted children. Others had been impacted by big brother and big sister. That was to be the mission 
of our church. Others, dismayed by the difference in police response times in white neighborhoods here in Charleston and black neighborhoods here in Charleston, wanted to get involved in a mission of social action. I could go on and on because I've been here a long, long time with, with the passions that people had that they wanted to turn into the mission of the church, and you can clearly see the results of that. It's frenzy because of each of those people wanted each one of you to be involved in their particular mission. How could we possibly do all of those things? Now, without a doubt, the Lord taught those people in their situations truth about who he is uh, and how he was with them, and he used those experiences in their lives to help other people. There's no doubt about it. But here's the thing. There's a difference between what you and I do as individuals and the mission we have together as a church. And so you have to ask the question, what mission has Jesus given to us as a church? Now, the good news is, here's the good news. Jesus has something much better for us than frenzy. (laughs) Is that music to your ears? More than frenetic activity. Because Jesus here is phronetic. He's clear, simple, direct with the end. The mission that he gives to us, look in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples. That's our mission. Now, in a few minutes, Whit Lowry is going to come up here, and he's going to stand before you. He is a baptized covenant child, and this morning, he wants to make his public profession of faith and take his first Lord's Supper. Now, Lord willing, we as a church family have a few years left with wit here at Redeemer. So what do we want for wit when he leaves our care? What do we want him to believe? How do we hope he will act? What things do we hope wit will do? In other words, what does wit the disciple look like? Then when you and I have a clear picture in our minds of wit the disciple, then we begin to know how to pray for wit. We know how to pray for his mom and dad, Kent and Ashley, and and of course, big sister Nora. Big sisters need lots of prayer. And we know what to say to wit when we teach his equipped class. We know what to say to wit when we volunteer for a kid's night. We know what to say to wit when we encounter him in the courtyard or the hallway or the fellowship hall. Now that I've embarrassed the entire family, (laughs) we might not have any Sundays left with them. I don't know. But let's get back to Jesus' command. Since he sends us into the world to make disciples, we need to have a clear picture of what a disciple is so that we know what we are making and, and, and how to make them. So that we can be phronetic and not frenetic in mission. So let's define disciple. You ready? This is just a simple definition found in most Greek lexicons, that a disciple is a pupil, one who is taught or one who is instructed. Fair enough. But that definition might leave the impression that a disciple is simply someone who knows lots 
of facts about Jesus and the Bible and theology. But that's not all that a disciple is. And so I like this fuller definition from the Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Following Jesus as a disciple means the unconditional sacrifice of the whole life for the whole of life. To be a disciple means to be bound to Jesus to do God's will. I'm going to read that again. Following Jesus as a disciple means the unconditional sacrifice of the whole life for the whole of life. To be a disciple means to be bound to Jesus and to do God's will. One of the things I like about this definition is the emphasis on whole. All of your life for all of your life. Being a disciple of Christ has a claim on every part of your life and my life. Nothing is excluded. Our work, our finances, our recreation, our thought lives, every relationship we have, all of those must be wholly lived in relationship with Christ for the entirety of our lives. Now, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? But guess what? Being a disciple of Christ is extreme at all times and in all ways. So after seeking to be a disciple ourselves, this is the kind of person that we are to go into the world to make. So here's the question. What are the means to that end? How do we go about making disciples? The primary way, the primary way to make disciples is through proclamation. The primary way to make disciples is through proclamation. It's what we proclaim about Jesus, what we tell them about Jesus, what we teach them about Jesus. Now, here is the most famous quote that Francis of Assisi did not say. He did not say this. There's no evidence anywhere, though it's quoted everywhere. And here's the quote, preach the gospel every day. When necessary, use words. He never said that. In fact, Francis of Assisi was was a fiery preacher. One biographer said that his words, his words were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart so that listeners were turned to great amazement. It's reported that He sometimes preached in five villages a day, often on doorsteps. He preached from a bale of straw or a granary door or on a a, a box or on the steps of a public building. The fiery little preacher from Assisi was sometimes so animated and passionate in his delivery that his feet moved as if he were dancing. This is not the man who said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. He used words. And how distraught he would be at the idea that people use his quote to pit one against the other. And of course, the gist of the quote is what we do so much more important than what we say. The last thing the world needs is more sermons. Well, instead, we should just do things in the world. 
do things that restore this world more into the place that God created it to be. Of course, Jesus did loving things. Of course, Jesus served. But don't forget this. Jesus is called the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So let me just say that no one, no one ever intuited the gospel through a kind act. And you know why? Because the gospel is absolutely counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the all-powerful, all-knowing, one and only, true and living, holy, holy, holy God of the universe doesn't make sense that he would care about sinful, broken people like us. doesn't make sense, especially when we think about, as we so often do, the aseity of God, the aseity of God. Over and over we've seen that means that, that, that God needs nothing He is complete in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He needs no thing else. He needs no one else. And yet, and yet, he chooses to take notice of us. He chooses to take care of us. He chooses to have us for himself. Not because of need, but because of want. And the most unbelievable thing is that God himself chose to come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you find that to be good news? Do you? Do you think that's good news? It must be spoken. That's good news. It must be spoken because it doesn't make sense. No one's going to intuit it. People must be told the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must be told this is who Jesus is. This is what he came to do, and this is why he came to do it. No one's going to figure that out on their own. And let me tell you, you can serve at a soup kitchen all day long, but no one's going to figure out the gospel unless you tell it to them. You can Work at a homeless shelter all day long, but no one's going to figure out the gospel unless you tell it to them. You can be involved in social justice. You can work to bring justice to parts of the city that have been neglected or forgotten, but no one is going to figure out the gospel unless you speak the words. Here's the reality, and this is the reality. You might fill someone's empty stomach But if you do not speak the words of the gospel so that they can embrace Jesus by faith, they will exit this world for the next one with a full stomach, but they won't know Christ. And I don't need to tell you what the eternal destination is for those who don't know Christ. You can give someone warm clothes to wear and a warm bed to sleep in, but if you don't speak the words of the gospel to them so that they can by faith embrace Christ, then you've only helped them exit this world for the next one from a warm bed. You can give your life to making this city more just for all people, but if you don't speak the words of the gospel, all you do is help people exit this world from the next in a place that was a little better than it was when you found it. Now, before you tar and feather me, anybody going to tar and feather me? Let's just trace the ministry 
of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus preaches his first sermon. And he quotes from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' ministry. It's a ministry of proclamation. He told people the good news that God is at work on their behalf. Now, given the fact that Jesus, according to Scripture, from what we know, never releases anyone from a physical prison, and given the fact that his dearly beloved cousin, John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, no greater man has ever been born of woman, given the fact that with Jesus right there, he was executed from prison, I think it's safe for us to say that Jesus is speaking beyond the the, the physical here to the spiritual. He proclaims words of spiritual and eternal import. Then we get to the end of chapter 4. And those people that Jesus has been teaching, obviously, they, they want him to stay. Who would want Jesus to go away from them? Scripture says that they uh, uh, tried to get him to, to, to stay. They would have kept him from leaving. But here was Jesus' response. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, preaching the good news. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. See what compelled, what propelled, what pushed Jesus forward? It was his proclamation ministry. He had so much to tell. So much to teach about God. That's true. As he went about this vitally important ministry, he healed sick people along the way, people that I assume got sick again. He raised people from the dead, people that I know died again. His most important ministry was proclamation because here's the thing. Jesus knows there's something worse than dying. And that's dying without faith in him. It's dying. And then hearing the Lord say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus knows there's something better than flourishing in this life. It's better to have nothing in this life. It's better to be sick in this life and have Christ than to have everything and be well and not know Jesus. Jesus knows that to be true. And that's why he's committed to proclamation and so must we be. First and foremost for us in making disciples is that we must be proclaimers of the gospel Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in that famous chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, 
For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And what does Paul say is of first importance? They're words, these words. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he also appeared to me. There it is. Jesus lived. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised to life again. People were witnesses of that resurrected life. These words are the most important. They must be foremost and prominent in our lives. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You and I have to be convinced of the truth of the gospel, of our own need for it of the universal need of all people everywhere, regardless of what they think their need to be. And you and I must be proficient in telling the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how we begin, to make disciples. And that's our end. That's our goal. And so now, knowing what our end is, what our goal is, you know what to talk to the Lord about. I know what to talk to the Lord about. We need to ask him, what, Lord, do I need to do to be more proficient in telling the good news of the gospel? You and I know this. Great fear surrounds telling others the good news. Our fear is so great that it renders us too often silent. We don't say anything. Talk to the Lord about it. What's your fear? Why are you afraid? How can the gospel of Jesus, how can your identity in Christ take away that fear? If you don't understand the depth of the gospel and why it's so important, talk to the Lord about that. Ask him to show you anew and afresh the importance of it so that you have an Apostle Paul moment where you fall on your knees before the light and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think it's true that the gospel doesn't need words, but only deeds, ask the Lord to show you why you believe that is true. Why should you believe that? Why should it be one without the other? You and I have got to ask these questions and get answers from the Lord or we'll never be able to obey his command. We'll, We'll never be able to make disciples if we don't first proclaim the gospel. And I hope you know that the gospel is the only hope for our increasingly messed up, confused, chaotic world. We must be the ones that proclaim the truth of Jesus. This must be our phronetic focus and passion. If we're going to make disciples, we must be proclaimers. 
That's how disciples are made. And that's the mission that Jesus has given to you and to me. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we want to be obedient to your word, Lord Jesus, obedient to your call. Make it so in our lives that we know the gospel, that we love the gospel, that we believe from the depth of our being that all people need to hear the good news. Inspire us, compel us, propel us to go, to proclaim the good news, to make disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.